and welcome to Celebrating Cinema, a podcast for the love of cinema. I am your host, Sophie, and as always, I am joined by Kiriko. Hello. And Hugo. Hey, what's up? And today we are also joined by Yvonne. Hello, hello. We are, just to be clear, we are always joined by Yvonne as well, but today she decides to speak. Hey. I have a mic today. <laughs> That's so exciting. Um... So in this episode, in light of I's exhibition on his ecstatic truth, we will be discussing unorthodox filmmaker and new German cinema pioneer Werner Herzog. But before we jump into that, this is a bit of a mindfuck for us because you'll be hearing this episode before the episode that we already just recorded. <laughs> um, yeah. So I have already asked everyone what we've been watching lately. So instead, I'm going to ask everyone, as we're going into the summer, what are you excited to be watching this summer? Barbie! Yay. Yay. Barbie! Let's fucking go. I know the question. I know the answer for you. <laughs> Mission Impossible, mm. that reckoning part one. <laughs> <laughs> Which you can hear all about in the next episode of Celebrating Yay. Cinema. What about you? Um, so I'm. <laughs> I have this idea. I've lately I've been realizing that I have not seen enough films. I think that ever since Netflix came out, I just kind of went over to series instead of watching films. So every time we're having conversations, I'm like, "Wow, I, there's so much I've missed. I need to watch a you lot." You can talk about series too. Have you been seeing anything fun, like a fun show? Um. No, because I'm writing my thesis. Right, 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 right. No, but what I'm doing right now is I'm making a list for myself of like marathons and retrospectives that I want to do for myself as soon as I'm done writing my nice. thesis. Which one is highest on the list? The one that I just wrote down is actually someone that I have seen most films of, but it just sounded fun to do. And that is Robert Pattinson. Nice. And the idea of Amazing. watching Twilight and either The Lighthouse or Good Time in one sitting wow. is just... Oh my God. Dude, that's Sounds such magical. a good idea. <laughs> yeah. That's a great fucking idea. You know, there's one that I can hardly recommend. I'm not sure if it's on your list, but Cosmopolis, the oh, David Cronenberg yeah. film, mm -hmm. where he gets a rectum exam in the film as well. Yeah. It's a very important moment. <laughs> Canonical. <laughs> I've seen many parts of that film because I was like sitting next to someone while they were watching it, but I wasn't actively watching it. So it's definitely on my list. Nice. Yeah. Wow, that sounds like a terrific way to spend your summer, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Nice. Hugo, as a person who has, um, in my experience, seen everything that is of relevance, do you still have a list or a collection of a filmmaker or something that you want to still delve into? Yeah, very much. Uh, always. You know, the it's like the fucking so Socrates cliche, you know, the more you know, the more you realize how little you know. It's kind of like, it's an it's literally an ever-expanding thing. So, for instance, now, um, in the next week, I'm going to the Carlo Vivari Film Festival, and they have a retrospective of a Japanese director who made movies in the 50s and 60s and 70s that I had never, like, I've never heard of his name. And then they have a full retrospective or a big retrospective, and all the films sound fucking incredible and I've never even known about the guy and I'm like, okay, what the fuck, you know, so I need to watch his movies there. Mm -hmm. And just like those kind of things, like after Carlo Vivari, I'm going to a film festival in Yerevan in Armenia and Love Diaz is the main guest. He's the guest of honor. 
And then I'm thinking, shit, I have seen a couple of Love Diaz movies, but there's so many that I haven't seen, so I should be watching those as well. So it just, uh, the, yeah, the list always keeps growing, for sure. Yeah. I think I know no one who has seen as much as you did. No, me neither. Wow. The crazy <laughs> thing is I know many people that have seen many, many more films than I. Sure, I feel like I'm, I'm sure. still like... Uh, you like to borrow some Star Wars terms. I'm still like a young Padawan, you know, a young, <laughs> young student or pupil. Um, I guess that is actually the beauty of cinema, you know, or of culture and arts in general, that it's also relative and it's ever expanding. So. There's such a hierarchy to it. <laughs> no, there's not. It's just like... <laughs> No, but uh, like before we get into the episode, it's good to, you know, acknowledge that the most important thing is that you see a thing and actually feel a thing for it. You know, it's Definitely. not a competition and I hate it. I hate people that want to make it that out of it. I really love people at film festivals that want to see the most. But then you're like, yeah, but we also need to live and we need to enjoy the movie or think about it for a little bit. Absolutely, yeah. So I try to balance this always and it's tough to balance those things, but that's this podcast I feel is like such a nice way to actually acknowledge that, that it's about what you actually think and feel about the things. What a sweet way to start this episode. Mm -hmm. Well, having said that. Yeah, (laughs) let's dive in. For the past couple of weeks, I've been following the new HBO series, The Idol, with great pleasure. The series is about a young female pop star who tries to become the next hottest thing, despite and thanks to her trauma and her toxic environment. It is not necessarily the quality of the series that keeps me interested, actually far from it, because The Idol is a horribly written and painfully badly acted and It's continuously trying to become something that it is not. However, its denial of its truth is what makes it so attractive. Something about the idol resembles its close exchange with reality, as the line between the reality of Hollywood and the story that the idol attempts to be is kind of dubious. It is watching the rise of Lily Rose Depp, who plays the character of a woman whose image is being destroyed by the media while knowing that her fame is rising in the shadow of the scandals of her father, and the resemblance of The Weeknd's sleazy character with his music persona while also being conscious of his dominance in the series, and the all-around gross female gaze that has been spat all over each episode while it tries so hard to write from a female perspective. It is a story of fiction that fails to conceal the shortcomings of Hollywood itself and therefore becomes almost like a beautiful documentary of Hollywood in this day and age. The Idol got me thinking about my own personal idol, Werner Herzog. While The Idol is so hard trying to conceal the horrible truth but failing in doing so, my idol, Werner Herzog, is the master of revealing the truth that nobody dares to show or wants to know. As the director of over 60 feature films and documentaries, Herzog has been on a continuous quest for revealing what he calls the ecstatic truth, an inner truth that embodies the darkest characteristics of humankind, of natural aggression and devilish absurdities. It is within his fictional work where Herzog comes so close to reality that real human horror reveals itself to the screen. And it is within his documentaries that he waltzes over the truth with poetry and with that revealing an even stronger truth. 
The clearest example might be the production of Fitzcarraldo, which in short is a fictional story about a European madman who wants to build an opera house in the jungle of Peru that requires him to carry a huge boat over a hill, executed by the native Peruvian community. Every fictional element of this film was a reproduction of a pure real-life horror. Fitzcarraldo was played by a real-life madman who goes by the name of Klaus Kinski. A gigantic boat had to actually be carried over a mountain, and the local Peruvian community was driven to madness because of the impossibility of the production of this film. Its production is captured in what might be the greatest making of film ever made called Burden of Dreams. In my opinion, one of the greatest masterpieces of cinema as it reveals to us in the most profound way how planet Earth can turn up into straight up inferno. Today, we will be talking about the beauty and the horror that is Werner Herzog, honoring his extensive filmography and the force of violence that fires in his spirit. Wow, thank you. You're welcome. Can I start to say that that is probably one of the most succinct and fantastic uh, critiques and appreciations at the same time of the idol, which I'm very happy about. That was like so spot on. It's crazy. Thank you. Thank you. Are you watching it as well? I've watched like the first two episodes and I'm cringing so hard that I don't like, I'm already a very picky series viewer, but <laughs> so I've like easily say like, nah, I could be watching, you know, a uh, fucking uh, Terrence Malick film instead of this <laughs> or something. Don't be that uh, That's hard, you know, I only have that many hours in a day, I know, so I'm I know. like... Why am I spending my time watching this shit? Yeah, but it's so good. But it is highly engrossing in its It gets worse and worse. I kind of like that. (laughs) It's really good. It's really good. Did you guys watch The Idol? I am I am going to. I haven't seen it yet, but I've I've been on YouTube a lot lately. My um, For You page is full with like bad reviews of it. It's so, amazing. Yeah. I'm now wondering, like, I'm now picturing Reiner Herzog, like, in his home in LA, watching the idol as well. <laughs> He's like, this, this man, he is a sexual deviant, <laughs> but it uncovers a certain truth about the deviance of humanity itself. I wish Tom was here because he would do the better impersonation. I'm pretty bad at him. But. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's, I don't know, it only made sense to me that it's to combine the two together, the idol and uh, what Werner Herzog does. Or but this is interesting to me that you describe Werner Herzog as one of your biggest idols because uh, you yourself are a filmmaker as well and you dabble in the field of the nonfiction. <laughs> um, so what is it? I think, he, I mean, the appreciation of his work is there in the cold open, but what is it about his way of working that then maybe inspires you also as a filmmaker, but also as a lover of cinema itself? I think to start off, many documentary filmmakers are not lovers of cinema, Mm -hmm. or at least there is such a, I mean, it's very rare to see a really good documentary film that gives you the same experience of actually watching real cinema, like that gives you a reason to actually go to the cinema. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because many documentary filmmakers are still very much in denial that they can tell the story that they want to tell 
or that they have the sense that what they say needs to be a representation of reality mm-hmm. as how we perceive it or something, mm-hmm. which I understand where that comes from, but that's not why you make a film. You make a film because you need that immersive experience. And I think Herzog is one of the truly few people who understands that he can film a penguin and turn it into whatever he thinks that it can be be. and should be or Mm -hmm. what he believes that is his truth or his pain or his perception of beauty and um, that is so super rare that it inspires me so much yeah I think it's it's definitely his documentaries that I um, appreciate a lot more than his fiction because I feel as if in, in his documentaries he's much more often seeking beauty, whereas mm-hmm. in his fiction, he seeks pain uh, and destruction. Um, yeah, it's, uh, that's my take on it. I think you're right. And, you know, I'm, it's very hardening to hear this because when I was a budding cinephile, when I was 16 years old, um, the, I saw, I remember a day where I was uh, sick with a flu and I stayed at home and I had downloaded uh, Agir der Zorn Gottes. Am Weihnachtstag des Jahres 1560 erreichten wir die letzte Passhöhe des Andengebirges und sahen zum ersten Mal in den gelobten Urwald hinab. Am Morgen las ich die Messe, dann stiegen wir durch die Wolken hinab. 1972, also Klaus Kinski starring film, also in the jungle in the south of America. Now showing uh, in Lab 111. Now showing in Lab and in other places in, in the Netherlands as well. And I watched it in bed and I had like a small little TV, like really a four by three little CRT TV in my uh, bedroom close to my bed. And I watched quite a lot of movies on that, you know, secretly at night, just staying up and watching films. And I saw that film during the day when I was sick and it was such a tremendous experience. It just like so sweet overwhelmed me with beauty and pain it's indeed. such a slow film also <laughs> but it's so fucking good it's so ridiculously good and um i feel like that really pushed me over some edge you know where you wondering what film really is at a certain critical juncture where you might be getting more interested in it and suddenly there is a film that feels like an absolute like no but this is like cinema cinema you know this is really the whole thing um that film i was obsessed with it for the longest time it was my password for like my email and stuff it's not anymore so you can't hack me anymore it's not but it was agir 1972 was my email password (laughs) and so what about it is it that attracts you so much the frame you know is so tight but the scope is so big and (laughs) (laughs) wow yeah no but it is like I don't know I just felt like I don't know you have that and it's stronger when you're younger um, that you feel like you're watching or experiencing a thing and it's 
expanding and expanding and expanding and it's becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, for some, it used to be, you know, Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter, where you feel like this is this 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 kind of like world and it's dense and it just texturally grows and you don't know where it's gonna stop. And that, in the course of a 90-minute film, is crazy because it's so compact and at the same time it has all the vastness of what human life has in it or something. And that just really stuck with me. And then I had to radically rethink then, okay, but then what is cinema? You know, what is beauty and what is pain? Not that I had those thoughts already, like, but those were probably the feelings that I had to process. And it's a lot to wrestle with. I'm, you know, you can, I can still wrestle with Aguirre. It's a film you can come back to time and time again. And Absolutely. It's a film that changes. Yeah. But Have you guys seen it by any chance? It's showing in the cinema. It's, I mean, it's a very, I, I'm not, I'm not, it's not my religion necessarily. <laughs> um, but it does have that, so, so basically the film is about a, a Spanish expedition in the Peruvian jungle mm -hmm. where basically the native community made up sort of like a, uh, how do you say El Dorado, that? City of Gold, yeah. kind of mirage. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that they, they said there was a place which was full of gold, so all the Spaniards went there. And then there was one expedition, and uh, it was, I think, of 50 people or so, and a monk had recorded or wrote down uh, what the experience was like, and based on that record, the yeah. film was made about basically an expedition led by a madman who was like hungry for gold. And for weeks and weeks, they were going down a river to a place that didn't exist with more people dying and all the people being, um, yeah, drawn, drawn into the darkness of the, the leader of the group. Um, but what I find most fascinating about this film is that you... So the film ha was shot chronologically, meaning that the group of people, and it was a really, really tiny, tiny crew, was actually going down that river for many, many weeks. And you can feel the danger of them being there. And it feels like a documentary in many aspects because it is. Everyone is really tiring themselves down as they go down that river. And by the end of the film, you feel that everyone is sort of physically and mentally dead because of the production, which... And then you have one of the most tremendous scenes ever put to film where they're on the raft and most people in the film have already succumbed to like illness and flu and, you know, poison darts of like, you know, indigenous folk that are know that they're literally going through their territory and the only person that remains is the madman the conquistador the general uh Aguirre played by again Klaus Kinski who is the madman in the Werner Herzog universe as well a totally insane guy who is one of the most expressive and fantastic German actors to have ever graced the screen but is also a rampaging evil asshole and he's left alone on the raft and the raft is being flooded by 
tiny little monkeys, little creatures that all come like jumping on the raft as if nature is kind of like overwhelming him and, you know, storming this final vestige of quote unquote civilization, you know, the European imperial project. And there's a voiceover and he's like, I am Agir, the Zorn Goddess, the Wrath of God. And he starts thinking, saying these things like that he will marry his own daughter and they will start their own bloodline and just kind of like this whole colonial uh, conquest just becomes this sickly pathological desire for power and legacy. And it's well, one of the... Like one of the greatest film endings, I think, ever. It has such existential quality to it. And the entire film just, you know, inform it, it finds that. But what you say is true, and I've, I might misattribute it to Godard, but it was one of those guys who said that every film is like, every fiction film is a documentary of its own making. And it has never applied so much as to. Werner Herzog, probably, yeah, yeah, in the way yeah, that he makes sure. films. Yeah. But you are more interested in his documentary work than in his fiction films. Well, you know, what's so complicated about his fictional work is that to tell a story of colonialism, Werner Herzog actually Had needs to, to colonize. Be <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the beauty of the thing is that he is able to tell the stories of the worst things in the world in the best way. But the worst things in the world are, you know, um, things that we are more and more so trying to say goodbye to, whereas he really needs to recreate the whole thing in order to tell the thing. And the... I mean, I think we talked about this before when we were for the Khodorovsky episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the beauty of having these films and being able to sort of have this artifact of history of what uh, human horror is. But then also it's something that you will not ever have made or want to be made like imagine that, a Fitzcarraldo type of production. Yeah. I mean, that's basically the idol now yeah. in its it, super, super light form. Yeah, no, I see what you get. And I do agree with you uh, almost in a principle basis that Burden of Dreams, the documentary by LeBlanc behind the scenes of the making of Fitzcarraldo is the more important film than Fitzcarraldo itself. For sure, yeah. It's wird ein ein Zeitpunkt kommen, wo man at the age of 37, German filmmaker Werner Herzog has a worldwide reputation as one of the most talented directors to come out of the movement known as the New German Cinema. In 1977, he ventured deep into the upper Amazon jungle of Peru, scouting locations for a surrealistic adventure film he'd been planning for years, Fitzcarraldo. From the beginning, he expected it to be an extremely difficult project, but it wouldn't be the first time he'd risked everything for new images. In 1971, for instance, he came to the upper Amazon to film Aguirre, Wrath of God, and he and his crew spent weeks living on rafts in the middle of the river. Some critics feel that Herzog seeks out physical danger to test himself. Herzog insists he's a professional taking reasonable risks to create images no one has ever seen before. This time, however, the dangers were so extreme that he invited filmmaker Les Blank to shoot a documentary of Fitzcarraldo being made, as if he were afraid that the documentary might be the only record of his epic adventure. Join with Herzog, Klaus Kinski, and 800 Peruvian Indians as they risk their lives and their sanity. Um, 
at the other hand, it also raises a question of the parasitic nature, you know, of like burden of dreams couldn't exist without the virtue of Fitzgeraldo's process also and being I'm there. And I'm so happy that they both exist. Yeah, exactly. I agree. But then maybe by the, you know, the fact that there is not a burden of dreams film about Aguirre, that film still for me stands in isolation. And also on the record, I think that Fitzgeraldo sucks. I think it's a shitty film. Wow. It's boring. Uh, it's long. It's like, it's, it's super not, long. Yeah. It's not a good film. There's a couple of brilliant shots in it where they actually take the fucking ship and they, you know, but again, it's over the back of the local population and you see the labor and yeah, it hurts, you know, like. Actually, I wanted to ask a question about this also tying into what you just said, seeing as so much actual pain has gone into making these films and what we discussed as well with Jodorowsky, if it's worth it or not, especially with Fitzcarraldo, seeing as he also won an Oscar for Best Picture, so that pain was kind of rewarded as well. There's this story going around. I don't know if it's actually true. I tried to look it up. I couldn't. There were a lot of different things, but some people say that people actually died while making that film. Yeah, people died. But yeah. like, yeah, I mean, okay. The thing is, I, they're in, in a... It's a good question, but it's like in in kind of like a principle. People also fucking die when they're like filling the shelves of like Amazon mm. warehouses, you yeah. know. And so it's it's kind of like okay, the fact that exploitation ex- exists is true, and I do long for, and I am very much for a activist or more politically aware maybe form of cinema where cinema can be seen as a form of care instead of a form of exploitation. But exploitation, yeah. I don't want to excuse Fitzgerald because, again, I don't like the film that much and it's not even about a matter of taste. Mm -hmm. I think that this film, I think Kiriko is right that the documentary about the film is a stronger example of what the film is in itself in its almost kind of like in a principal form because it's and capturing the film and capturing the madness behind making the film. Mm-hmm. It is in that sense a much more layered work than the f- original is in itself. Sure. Yeah. Um, however, think- just to, to like on the side of the speculation of people dying. But yes, do people do die? Like it is like um, as like in that sense, I. This is not the thing that I'm struggling with the most. No, I think also the aspect of people dying is not the worst thing that happened there on set, like by no means. I think the presence of Klaus Kinski is hella, tra- I mean, it has to be hella traumatizing for that whole crew. Or even the idea of spending six weeks in a jungle for making a film. I mean, there was only two men on that whole set that truly believed that that was the most important thing that they had to do at the moment was Werner Herzog and Klaus Kinski. And the rest of them were just, you know, breaking down day by day. Um, And yet then if we can equate it to the idea of beauty, you have a film like Fitzgerald that I think overstays its welcome. And you have a film like... (laughs) Aguirre that I think transcends the thing and I will stop talking about Aguirre because you know I've I think I've said my share but the idea of like I, that's why I like the name of the exhibition and the, the words the phrasing of Herzog the, um, 
what was it? The aesthetic truth. Such a perfect phrasing of what he does. And this idea of being able to transcend the, the boundaries of what the camera can do. And I think that's, I mean, I think Herzog's strongest quality is not the recreation of horror and then showing it to humankind. I think what is what he is so uniquely talented at is capturing daily life and then understanding what the pain of that is and what the horror of that is. For example, there's this scene in um, a film, a documentary film called Encounters at the End of the World, where uh, he goes to uh, Antarctica and basically he films the people who live in Antarctica, which, which is like mostly scientists who... Crazy you know, people as well. Look because at you're fish like and so remote. And, yeah. Like just crazy Einzelganners, but also they have to be a team. Such a reclusive community. And, and he f follows these people and then he follows like the seal and he follows a penguin. <laughs> and walks I, in I think, yeah, so there's this one iconic scene <laughs> of a penguin that is, um, he films a penguin that is dis distancing himself from his own community. He, who's walking straight into like, these basically the abyss just yeah the yeah nothingness. yeah and it's Werner Herzog commenting on this penguin's life maybe you can do a yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> like now I'm doing a guitar but I can do it he is marching to a certain death by cold and agony and hunger and even though these penguins are all heading to the open water to the right But one of them caught our eye, the one in the center. He would neither go towards the feeding grounds at the edge of the ice, nor return to the colony. Shortly afterwards, we saw him heading straight towards the mountains, some 70 kilometers away. Dr. Ainley explained that even if he caught him and brought him back to the colony, he would immediately head right back for the mountains. But why? One of these disoriented or deranged penguins showed up at the New Harbor diving camp, already some 80 kilometers away from where it should be. for the humans are do not disturb or hold up the penguin stand still and let him go on his way and here he's heading off into the interior of the vast continent with 5,000 kilometers ahead of him he's heading towards certain death And you know that is there's no harm in filming that scene, but he can still show us the same pain, you know. And like, for that very reason, Werner Herzog is a voice actor at the beginning of Happy Feet, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because fierce. it's such a funny joke. Yeah. Uh, no, you're right, and 
I might even like, like his little, like his lesser quote unquote films have that same quality. There's one film, uh, The Great Ecstasy of Woodgarver Steiner, which is a film about a German guy who is a uh, very professional and talented, uh, like, ski jumper you know he does like this like the big jumps from the slope with the skis i guess you call them ski jumpers maybe we call them in dutch gunspringers but i don't know how you call them in english anyway he's one of those kind of guys like really alpine kind of you know dude who just like has that relationship with the skis and with the wood because he's also a wood carver so he has like this very intimate connection a mythical connection almost because he's one of the the best in the field, a great athlete. And this is a film that Werner Herzog had to make for the ZDF, for the German uh, television network. And um, it's part of like a series that they had. And as such, he had to also very much appear in front of the camera as a TV reporter because it is essentially a television report. But in the hands of Herzog, it does become cinema, you know? And there's this moment where the ski jumper, Woodcarver Steiner, he does like a big jump and he's very nervous and um, because the, the, the competition, even the people that are not so good, they're performing very well that day. Everybody's like at the top of their game. And he jumps and Herzog shoots it and they play it in slow motion. And you have like this breathtaking music, the, probably one of the most brilliant bits of music ever composed for a film. It's like one and a half minutes by Popovu, um, the band by Florian Fricke that made many of the major Werner Herzog scores. It's achingly beautiful. It's insane. And it's only one and a half minute. You can look up at, at YouTube. Maybe we should include the one and a half minute here in the thing because yes, it's so fucking yeah. beautiful. And then in slow motion, you see him jump and fly through the air. And flight is a very important part, actually, an, an important motive in the Herzog so canon. And you see it. And then the Herzog voiceover comes. This is the jump played in 120 of speed and then like this woodcarver steiner he lands and, and herzog is like he jumps so far that they don't even know how to measure how far he has jumped he has leapt he has fl- he, he has flying and it's kind of like that that aesthetic truth you know that idea that you have that one jump and it becomes life and the a thing past life itself yeah. but it's made for television and it is cinema and it is a guy but he's more than a guy and that whole idea that is for me also what Herzog could do take one of those ordinary seemingly ordinary yeah, moments yeah, yeah. and make it transcendental really transcendental my god that is such a good scene <laughs> like I'm like <laughs> Well, we're obviously very hyped, <laughs> but you guys are new to the Herzog world. Yeah. yeah did you how like what's the, your foray into the? I feel like I just watched the scene. It was beautiful. Yeah, I have like a really detailed image. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but have you what? What films have you seen so far, and how is your relationship with with the guy with the uh, with his work? 
My relationship is almost non-existent, I have Same. to say, because I wanted to watch films to prepare. But, but then you have a thesis to write. <laughs> that, and also I would have to go to the cinema. You, they're not really that readily available. But I did see that I did see him in something, and that is Rick and Morty. Yeah. <laughs> he was a voice actor for that. Really? For one episode, yes. And um, yeah, I, I am totally enjoying your stories. He sounds amazing. He's fucking amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He's How about you, Yvonne? Yeah, I also couldn't go to the cinema because every screening that I wanted to see coincided with something else in my life. <laughs> But I watched these YouTube videos that you can find because I don't think you can find the movies on any internet place so torrent uh, yeah. sorry yeah. that is legal yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but i so i stumbled upon this video from arte with like all these different um moments from his films and it just seems like like most of it looked like documentary but such like in between nature like like very like picturing the essence of nature which it was Beautiful. Well, I think that, you know, Sophie, you touch upon a very important aspect of the Herzog mythos, and that is Herzog as a meme. And I think he more readily now also embraces this quality, but it's for very easy, as I have already probably showcased, to kind of like meme him. Um, but that's also because he is such a mythical, strange figure. He does figure. it to himself. He does it to himself, but also life does it to him. He's just one of those people that <laughs> things occur to, you know. No, as he this, totally doesn't. No, himself. but like the, I mean, the very famous YouTube video of him, like he's conducting. There's an interview conducted mm. with the British crew, mm. and he's being shot at. In Germany, uh, I've somehow left the paved road. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares about my films. For example, what's We quickly realized that some wacko had taken a pot shot at us with an air rifle and Herzog had been hit. So this, sorry, this literally just happened when we were standing outside on there camera. and there was a noise and it was a whiz and you just said, I've been shot. You had, look, you're yeah, bleeding. Yeah. I think here somewhere. Yeah. Look, you, I mean, that's, a, that's a, somebody sh shot at you and created a wound in your abdomen. It's not, not significant. And then they have the interview and he's like, it's okay, the wound is not significant. <laughs> But also the phrasing, significant wound yeah. is such yeah. a good phrasing. There's also a, a video that you can look online that somebody had animated where he's explaining where he's, I think he's rescuing Joaquin Phoenix from like a crashed, a crashed car in car, the desert. Yeah. And he's like, and there I was in the desert and I hear a crash And I go and I see his this guy and he is Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> just kind of like this <laughs> like ghost story that he just pulls him out. Or, or it was like from Joaquin Phoenix's perspective. And here is Werner Herzog pulling me out of a car and then he's suddenly gone. Just kind of like, 
what the fuck who the fuck is in the desert and then she's like yeah. i think i just have a, a a thought for some reason what werner herzog does is he's like the fun version of marina abramovic yeah he, whoa that is fucking right? he's like yeah. always trying to get so close to death and to danger and yeah. to the edge of his life and he somehow it feels as if to him it's really like a force of nature forcing him to have to be in the jungle for months and then suffer to then understand a, re- a truth whereas with Abramovich you feel that you know it's her fame that is sort of forcing her to do the dangerous it's things like that she does more and more contrived whereas the I feel like the the subtlety or the beauty of a Herzog project is it is in its simplicity, yeah. and it it comes back to probably one of his more important quotes is that he said that cinema should function as a means to record the things that the naked eye can rarely see, and I feel like that is such an easy task but such a difficult one to actually execute because you need to dedicate yeah. yourself to that mission. And he but the mission it. in itself is clear. Like life itself, you know, in all its like weird wonders and stuff, you have to seek it out. You don't find it in the confines behind your computer or whatnot. It occurs. So you need to be at the occurrence. And I don't know, it like... It gets to an essence maybe of what cinema can be and what many people don't want, like don't allow themselves to let cinema become is just actually capturing how exceptionally strange life is. And that maybe that's why you're so fond of the documentary work as well, because there the things kind of maybe just more often just occur and you don't have to create the situation in which yeah. it becomes the simulation of the life does accidentally become in the thing itself you yeah, know yeah 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 like one of his most famous documentaries is uh, grizzly man about this guy you know you probably have heard about this film um about this guy that was so taken by the grizzly bears um in the big like green lush plains and just studied them and filmed them and felt like they were connected and was like oh we love each other and stuff and ultimately of course was you know (laughs) absolutely mauled to death by those very same subjects that he was filming for 13 years timothy treadwell lived among the grizzly bears in the alaskan wilderness during that time he shot over 100 hours of videotape until 2003, when he was killed by one of the bears he had sworn to protect. Well, I'm here with one of my favorite bears. It's Mr. Chocolate. Hey, Mr. Chocolate. He's been with me for over a decade, and he's been my good friend. Oh, he's a big bear. He's a big bear. A very big bear. Wow. When you spend a lot of time with bears day after day, there's a calling that makes you want to come in and, and spend more time in the world. Expedition 2001, I came here and protected the animals as best I could. In fact, I'm the only protection for these animals out here. Animals rule, Timothy conquered. He tended to want to become a bear. Most times I'm a kind warrior out here. Occasionally I am challenged. And in that case, the kind warrior must, must, must become a samurai. 
I think he had lost sight of what was really going on. Where he got what he was asking for, he got what he deserved. Come here and try to do what I do, you will die. You will die here. We need more rain! Melissa is eating her babies! Uh, Timothy, I'm getting a bad feeling about you. I can smell death all over my fingers. I will die for these animals. I will die for these animals. For him, that is such a Herzogian character because he did the thing that Herzog would want to do. Probably he has more courage than Herzog himself has. Yeah, for sure. And And I think that. hmm? And he filmed it. And he filmed it. Death was. uh, And he died with such a conviction. You know, yeah, and his death was indeed yeah. on the tape, and that's also yeah. such an iconic Herzog moment, sure. where they're like, "It's his mom or something, right? Or yeah. his wife or something?" He's, I think his mom. Yeah, his girlfriend died with him yeah. in the attack. It's his mom, and they have like the audio tape, and they show it to her, and he's like, "If I were you, I would destroy it, and this shouldn't be in your house as an elephant in the room." <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah i don't know it's also herzog being our god as throughout the whole film you know that this man is gonna die and this tape exists and you feel as if you're working towards it for the whole entire time to you know get the relief of hearing how this man dies and then herzog being our guardian angel saying no i'm not gonna Give it well, but to this you. is like the mm-hmm. in the in the catalog text of the I Film Museum, they posit him as like one of the great modernist uh, filmmakers of the 20th century, and I think that emphasis is kind of interesting because, you know, what does that mean? You know, he like modernism implies that he still believes in a greater overarching narrative, you know, and. Um, Maybe that is quite rare in the 21st century, but I'm wondering what you think of such a statement, because like you say, if he is that kind of God, you know, like who else is working on a Herzogian skill or who else has that belief in cinema? It's kind of, it's, it's a question to it's you, a good but question. what do you think of such a statement and in the way that it relates to his filmmaking practice? I don't know if this is an exact answer on your question, but um, to you listeners... We have just recorded a an episode that you will be able to listen at the end of the month, but it was about Tom Cruise. Yeah. And um, I was researching Tom Cruise and Werner Herzog next to it. And honestly, I saw a lot of similarities, especially because you are calling Werner Herzog a god. And we kept calling Tom Cruise a messiah. Jesus. Yeah, messiah. So they're, have they, they ever worked together? Yes. Yeah, Jack Reacher. Mm. Jack Reacher, baby. Yeah, they, they actually yeah. have. Yeah. So they're they're like the content of the films that they make is very different, of course, but their like belief in the true pain you have to go through to make the films, it seemed very similar to me. Maybe there is a sense of the necessity of creating something that is that turns into that turns cinema into religion because it's the it's the first godless medium and therefore tries to become the religion itself. Mm-hmm. I don't think that that is necessarily Herzog, his intention. Um. But at the other end, maybe it is because Herzog has such um, reverie for the German expressionism of the 1920s, which is 
a foundational moment in film history. Yeah. And going as far as actually undertaking a pilgrimage from Paris to uh, Germany by foot to visit yeah. a dying Lotten Eisner, who was one of the most important German like directors in that time. And Did this, you read that? I didn't read his travelogue. I of read that it thing. last summer. How was it? was it? dreadful. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I kind of like don't want to read Herzog as much no, as no, I no. just... No, no, no. You want to hear it. You don't want to read it. But the thing is, the, the point stands it is a there is a holistic belief and that is maybe what sets things apart and you know cinema is a godless medium but it's also a 20th century medium it's a modernist medium and it has endured and it has at this point survived postmodernism but it doesn't actually suit it very well or at least postmodernism doesn't suit cinema very well i would say That's a that I don't know the answer to that yet. I'm actually struggling with finding the words to answer that. But I do feel that he is upending a very strong and very urgent modernist mode. And you know, for instance, um, he made a remake of the Nosferatu film, starring Klaus Kinski as Nosferatu, aka Dracula. Um, but it's a remake of a Murnau film from 1922, which is one of the most important films in German film history. Ich lege keinen Wert mehr auf Sonnenschein und blitzende Fontänen, für die sich die Jugend begeistern mag. Ich liebe die Dunkelheit und die Schatten. Jonathan, fahr nicht. Ich habe ein Gefühl. Ach was. Du wirst in Gefahr sein. Fahr nicht. wird mein Essen. Ich muss heute noch zu Graf Draculas Schloss. The loaded text, you know, it's just not a vampire movie. It is a German Weimar movie. So it's about a lot more than just Dracula and Jonathan Barker and whatnot. Um, he's so explicitly putting himself in a tradition and keeping that alive. So... Yeah, I don't know. I'm just very much wondering how you reckon, like how we can reckon with such a guy because what do we have to offer to answer to that, you know? He already did the answering to a thing that was bigger than he was. Yeah, yeah, And I yeah. do believe that. Murnau's Nosferatu will always be the more important Nosferatu. And yet he made his answer and that answer in itself is valid. But what is what does the answer to the answer look like, you know? I mean, I think one thing needs to be said in regards of this search for his importance in the 20th and 21st century. Because one thing that I admire so much in his work is his continuous attempt in attempting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, he has such a large filmography and you feel that within everything, every film that he makes... It's also just the fascination that he doesn't necessarily understand why he wants to do it, but he just, I mean, you feel him just walking out the door with a camera and seeing what happens to him in so many cases, which also makes, you know, some films a lot better than others. And sometimes it, it's, it has also a like formula-ish 
feel to it. Yeah, the memeified, you know, thing. Yeah, or he always goes for like the largest, the deepest, the strongest, yeah. the smallest, the tiniest. You know, yeah. there's a there's a there's a pattern there where you almost know sometimes where he's gonna go within film, but then uh, I think and maybe therefore he doesn't necessarily consider his craft himself as such an important um, result and more so as a craft that he wants to continue to explore. Like for example, with the making of Nosferatu, trying to understand the importance from within. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's speculation. No, but it's, I think you're touching upon something very profound and you could connect it very easily to, I think, one of his like easily overlooked but probably more f important films Cave of Forgotten Dreams a film in which he goes to one of the you know oldest you know uh, mural paintings in in a cave of the Paleolithic era known to man in France and shoots it in 3D because the 3D image does more justice to the textural density of cave paintings than a 2D image can ever do and at the one hand it's him in a modernist mode, but it's also him in a postmodernist mode, and it's also him most ancient uh... him making that dreamlike connection between what cinema and cave paintings both are, and maybe that is one of the most quintessential films in that sense of the twenty first century. I don't know; it's a big claim to make, but he did like he did it and it fits in his oeuvre but it also had to fit in the history of cinema which it does and it connects it to the ancient art forms that have gone way 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 before us it connects humanity to a more natural ancient mode it is in that sense kind of like an ur text but it's one that he made when he was in his i guess 60s or something yeah 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 so and also, like, Grizzly Man is the first vlog film, if you think about it. Yeah, Let's no. say he definitely understands what cinema still can do. Like, he's very... For an old man, he's very curious. And that's admirable. <laughs> this is why there's some films that I'm slightly disappointed with. Maybe Referees of the Connected World. I think it's the, his kind of, that. like... Oh, everybody's on a smartphone. <laughs> like, you look at these yeah. Tibetan monks, they're also on their phone, and look at the internet, it's kind of crazy. But at the other end, yeah, maybe the internet is like a volcano, or like a cave, or like a fucking uh, river in the Amazon. Like, yeah, he it knows flows already. in we ways still that we don't discover. understand. Yeah. On that note. <laughs> yeah, pretty crazy guy. <laughs> As a whole. Yeah, definitely recommend his films. Yeah, he gets kind of nutty with it. Yeah. Until the 3rd of July, you can still see part of Herzog's filmography, including Hugo's Password, Aguirre the Wrath of God, here at Lab, for which you can find tickets in our show notes or on the Lab 111 website. Then, in honor of our next episode, Lab will be closing its doors on the 3rd of July, the day the legendary Tom Cruise was born, until the 21st of July for renovations. But luckily, we have many episodes out to fill your time until lab stores open again. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on whichever platform you're listening on and share so more people can find us. Make sure to subscribe and stay up to date with all new releases. 
If you want to join the conversation, feel free to send any questions at celebratingcinema at lab111.nl and follow us at lab111 on Instagram. As always, we provide show notes, including all films mentioned at celebratingcinema.com. This was a Lab 111 production, edited and produced by Yvonne GC, with music from Hugo Emmerzaal and artwork by Studio FFF.